Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. If we haven't met, my name is Eric Palmer. I'm the missions director here at church, and I'd like to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Dan and Melinda met in high school, but they didn't start dating until they attended Moody Bible Institute together. Uh, They married a year after graduating, um, and while Dan was working on his master's degree at Denver Seminary, uh, they joined Converge Rocky Mountain as church planters in the Denver area. After having three children and planting two churches, the Lord called them to go with Converge to Guadalajara, Mexico, where they planted a third church. In Guadalajara, the Lord brought forth their fourth child, Marcos, into their lives when they adopted him at the age of six after the death of his mother. Since November of 2016, Dan has served as the international leader for Latin America for Converge, giving leadership to their work there. They still live in Guadalajara, where Dan continues to teach at a local Bible institute and mentor pastors and church planters. Melinda Melinda has also helped develop a ministry to pastor's wives there in Guadalajara, and they continue to remain active to this day. Um, We've been supporting them as a church for at least 20 years, Dan and I figured it out. So um, I'd like you to welcome Dan up to the stage. It is good to be in the valley. It's also good to worship with you this morning and uh, and participate in the in the Lord's Supper. Um, most of you are probably meeting me for the first time, maybe, or uh, we've been through not so much in the last couple of years because of COVID. Uh, but it's it's. For me, it, I never, it never ceases to amaze me what we have in common in the Lord. And as we celebrate around the, the, the table of the Lord and join generations of believers over the ages that have done the same thing, um, honoring God, honoring Jesus, our Savior, uh, it's just a privilege to do that with you today. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, as, as Eric was saying, uh, we live in Mexico, and uh, we've been there for 16 years now. Prior to that, we were in the Denver area doing church planning. First time we came down to the valley was at the, the old building uh, down off of Main Street. Uh, but uh, we appreciate your partnership with us. And I want to talk a little bit about that and a little about missions today. But actually, I'm going to be talking about a different word also that we we hear and we understand. Um, Have you heard the phrase, so now abideth faith, hope, and love? But the greatest of these is love. And I've heard a lot of messages about love. This isn't a message about love. I've heard a lot of messages about faith. This isn't about faith, although we're going to talk some about that. I want to talk to you today about hope. It's kind of like the Cinderella of the three. You know, the stepsister that doesn't get to get talked about a lot. But actually, hope is very, very important and central to who we are. 
You cannot live without hope. Uh, there's, I, 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 I've heard once that you can uh, live a month, maybe. Some of us may be a little more <laughs> without food. You may be able to survive a week without water. But you can't even live a day without hope. We need to have something to live for. Uh, the Cambridge Dictionary defines hope as to want something to happen to be true and usually have a good reason to think that it might be true. And that's a good definition, but I think it leaves out something. Because we usually, when we talk about hope, we're anticipating something positive or good. Uh, we don't usually hope that our team is going to lose a Super Bowl, uh, unless you've bet a lot of money on the other team. <laughs> uh, we don't hope that Jesus is going to take another 2,000 years before he comes. Uh, we hope that he comes uh, soon. Uh, and so as we look at these positive things, and as we hope for them, it gives us a reason to live. It gives us something to live for. Especially when you're in a time of chaos and when the world seems to be turning upside down uh, hope is essential paul talks about this in romans 15 and if you have your bibles and and you can if you want to turn to there it's also going to show up on the, on the on the screen in the book of romans paul has been talking about the gospel <laughs> And it's basically kind of almost a theological dissertation on the gospel. The first eight chapters especially, he goes step by step, the different elements of gospel. He talks about sin, he talks about our separation, he talks about justification, faith. He talks about uh, the hope that we have and how nothing can separate us from God in, in chapter, chapter 8. And then he starts a more practical section on what are the implications of the gospel for us. And he gets to chapter 15, and he starts talking about hope. He's getting ready to land the plane, and he wants to celebrate the hope that comes uh, from the gospel. So the first thing we see is that the gospel is for what I'm going to call the nations. Let me read, I'm going to read Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. And you can follow along. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now he starts off talking to the Jews. He talks about how Christ became a servant to the circumcised, uh, talking about the Jewish people. 
but he quickly switches to focus in on the Gentiles. Now, the, the word that he uses here for Gentiles, it, it comes from the Greek word ethnos. And it's where we get our term ethnic. And, and a better translation, or maybe another translation, could be the nations. The different people groups, the different ethnicities. This is who he's talking to. Now, he's probably talking to a church in Rome that is a mix of both Jews and Gentiles, and he talks about that in the, in the book of Romans. But when he drills down, he wants to let us know, he wants all of us to be sure to understand that the gospel is a message for the nations. This is the word Gentile here is the same word that's used in the Great Commission to work the word go to make disciples of all nations. And it's the exact same phrase he says in verse 11, to go to all nations. So the gospel is a message for us, but for everyone and for the nations. The other thing that Paul addresses is that the gospel is a message that brings hope. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 again. And here he's quoting Isaiah. He says, and again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that the bower of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That you may have something exciting to live for. That you can have something excited to expect that is going to happen. Something that's just around the horizon. Something good is going to happen. It's there. Now, it's hard to compare periods of time. Uh, we've been through some crazy times. <laughs> I was just thinking it was just a little over two years ago that... Uh, President Trump published his 15 days to slow the spread. Remember that? 15 days. After 15 days, we were going to have to come out of this. And uh, we're still living with the results of, of, of COVID. Uh, and you could think, man, I, don't, I can't remember when there's been a time so chaotic as now. We've got Russia attacking Ukraine. We've got China threatening Taiwan. We've got uh, children in our, and young people in our streets dying of fentanyl. Uh, we've got violence uh, in our schools, in the grade schools. Well, when Paul is writing this, the emperor of Rome, the ruler over the area that Paul preached was a young man called Nero. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, Nero was a bad man. He's the one that threw Christians to the lions that would tie them up in, on stakes, douse them with oil, and burn them as torches as he wandered through his garden to the light of their burning corpses. That was Nero. That's who Paul lived under. Now the persecution 
of the church probably came about seven years after Paul wrote the book of Romans. Um, but Paul is inspiring the people, the church at Rome. He's inspiring us. Uh, he's talking about this quote from Isaiah of how the root of Jesse will come. And talking about, and he, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. He who rules, or he who comes uh, to arises to rule the nations, in him will the nations rejoice. What Paul is talking about is the light of hope, even in dark times, which comes from the gospel. You know, one of the things I've noticed that in the, in the middle of chaos, a lot of times we look to politicians for hope. How many of you are looking forward to November and the elections? Uh, maybe some are, maybe some aren't. But a lot of times we try to think, oh, if only we can get someone else, only if Trump would be gone, only if Biden would be gone, only if we had somebody in office then things would get better. The gas prices would come down or, or whatever. But hope doesn't come from them. When we start to look for hope, we sh instead of looking at the people around us, we should be looking up because that's where true hope comes. Paul goes on to talk about how the gospel not only brings hope, but it inspires worship. Uh, we worshiped together this morning. We're still worshiping together, honoring God for who He is and what He's done. And in this passage, Paul gives a series of quotes from the Old Testament which speak to the worship of the Lord by the nations. Now, when I was in seminary and, and, and Bible school, when we talked about missions, we usually went to the New Testament. We'd go to the Great Commission in, in Matthew, or we'd go to Acts, Acts 1-8, or, or the, the missionary journeys of Paul. I really like preaching out of Romans. I think Romans is one of the great missionary books uh, in the Bible. We don't usually go to the Old Testament, but, but Paul does. And, uh, and he goes into the Old Testament and he pulls out these quotes uh, where it shows that God's plan has always been for the nations to worship Him. He quotes from Psalm, in verse 9, he's quoting from Psalm 1849. It says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Verse 12, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Verse 11, he's quoting from Psalm 117.1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. The gospel is a call to worship. It's a call to worship for all the nations to worship. Uh, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says it this way. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. 
worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. One of the phrases he says is, missions exist because God lacks worshipers. That's what it's about. It's about coming before God, coming before the throne, and worshiping together with Him. A couple years ago, I, I, I experienced this. Uh, I was in the mountains of Peru. I was on a five-day trek where we visited a number of different villages in, in Peru. Uh, they were Quechua-speaking. Uh, the Quechua used to be the Incas. The Incas used to rule in South America. They were in charge until Spain, the Spanish showed up with steel and gunpowder and horses. And then we had what they call in Spanish the conquista. They were conquered. And now the Quechua are marginalized. Uh, they live in rural areas. They're poor, subsistence farming. And they're spread throughout the mountains. And I had an opportunity to, to take a trek through the mountains. And during the five days, we visited five different villages, small villages, 50, 75, maybe 150 was the largest village that we had. We visited 10 different villages, and in in, during that time, we, we would show, get there, show the Jesus film, give a gospel presentation, hand out Bibles in their, in their language. And uh, in those 10 villages, there were only two of them where we found believers. In one of them, we got to the village, and they were having a wedding party. And the wedding party, we knew it was going to go late into the night. And we didn't want to compete with the wedding, so we decided, well, I guess we're not going to show the Jesus film tonight. And so we were sitting around our campfire, and all of a sudden, a family showed up. And they had not gone to the wedding, because that was mostly just kind of a big old uh, drunken, drunken party. And uh, they were followers of Christ. And so we sat around our campfire and had a time of worship. Singing. I got to share from the Word. Tears were streaming down their face. Because this was the first time in two years that they'd been able to worship with other believers. Two years. They used to go to a church where they had to go walk two hours each way to get to church and come back. One night they were coming back around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and they were robbed on the trail coming back home. And they felt it wasn't safe for them to be traveling that far to go to church. How far do you have to walk this morning? Isn't it great to worship together? It should break your heart that there are people who don't have that opportunity. There are no others in their village to worship. And then there are other villages where there is no worship. 
that's what we're about. Is to give opportunity to people to learn that hope, to, 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 to hear the gospel message. And here in the gospel, the, 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 the message of Christ dying on the cross for them, that there is a solution for their sin. And that they too can have eternal life. This life is just something we're passing through. We have something so much greater awaiting for us. Last week I had a, the great privilege of celebrating a 15th birthday party for, with a, a young gal named Samarita. She's special needs. Uh, she's blind. She cannot speak. We're not even sure how much conscience she has. We know she can be happy. We know she can be sad. We know she can love. That's about it. And, and we sat there, saw there, and her parents, their message that they asked me to share was don't feel sorry for Samarita. She's got a direct connection with God. For some reason, God has decided to allow her thoughts to only be between him and her. Because she is not able to express those thoughts in, in, in the way most of us express them. She's got something greater waiting for her where it's not wrapped up in a body which doesn't allow her to walk or talk. And yet, they were sitting there worshiping God for her life. That's what the Gospel does. It gives us hope. And it's the message that we have to share this hope. In the last part of this passage, uh, starting in verse 14, Paul talks that, and says that his response to the gospel and his charge to the Romans, and I would go so far to say that his charge to us is to proclaim this message of hope. Verse 14 says, I am, am I myself unsatisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's complimenting them on their spiritual knowledge. You're a good church, he's saying. You've got a good preacher, you've got a good pastor, you've got good worship, you've got good preaching. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the nations, the Gentiles, may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. 
And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is reminding them of the purpose of the gospel. The gospel by its nature is a message that's not for believers. It's for those who have not heard the gospel. It's a message of life transformation, but it's a message that cries out to be shared and to be proclaimed and to be given to others. Paul had dedicated his life to proclaiming the gospel to the nations so that the nations could be, as, we, as he says in verse 16, an acceptable, sanctified offering of praise, of worship to God. We work with Converge. Uh, our vision statement with Converge is this. It says, we're asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. We're asking God, we're depending on God, on what it is that He wants to do. We know that this is something that we're never going to accomplish, but God can. We're asking Him for, for a gospel movement. Um, when we started ministry, at, I was 26 years old, freshly graduated from Denver Seminary, and thinking that all I needed to do was put up a sign and people would start coming to my church and so we put up a really good sign and no one came. <laughs> and uh, so we says, maybe we're going to have to go out and knock on some doors. And so we did that in Denver. Uh, and we planted a church in southwest Denver. It's called Iglesia Vida Abundante. You can still visit it if you want, if you're in that area. Uh, Pastor Jorge Figueroa would love to have you come in and visit him. Then we went to North Denver and we did the same up near Westminster. And then we felt God calling us to... Guadalajara, and we went down there and planted a church uh, called Factor Fe, Faith Factor. And as we were finishing up at Factor Fe, and we saw it was, we were getting time, the church was able, was at a stage where we could leave, I started asking God, God, you know, we can plant a church every five or six years, and maybe by the time we're ready to hang up our spurs or take our boots off, or whatever metaphor we should use as missionaries. Uh, but when we get time to retire, we might have been planted five, six, seven churches, kind of feel pretty good about what God had done. I says, but is there a way for us to leverage the experience we have to see multiplication? Because quite honestly, a church every five years isn't going to get it done. And we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, but one of the things that we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do is figure out, is there a way to see multiplication happen? To, to, to see the masses come to Christ. And uh, we're, we're trying to figure that out. You can pray with us in that regard. We're asking God for gospel movements among least reached people groups. That means that we're going to some of the tougher places. Places these days that are least reached, and we, it's less than 
uh, followers of Christ in that area. It's usually not because missionaries haven't gone there. It's usually because there's places, there's reasons historically, religiously, for whatever reason, that there's, there, it's just very, been very closed to the gospel. Uh, we're in Guadalajara, which is we, the center of what we call the Bajillo. Uh, the Bajillo is a six-state region in, in Mexico, which is anywhere between two and a half to three and a half followers of Christ, as best we can, we can tell. Two hours from us, there's a cathedral, a shrine, and uh, I think Pastor John, we went, we went, Pastor John went there with me, and in there, there's a doll that's 20 inches high. Uh, it's a replica of Mary, and people come to worship this doll because they believe she can perform miracles for her. In a room off to the side, there's a... a uh, the shrine is here, then off to the side there's another room, and it's full of pictures and of stories of people not worshiping God, not worshiping Jesus, but worshiping this doll and thanking her for the healing that they've had. Every time I would go there, I just went there about three weeks ago with a couple that is looking to come down, and we, all three of us came out with tears in our eyes. Because we saw people putting their hope in a doll when they should be putting their hope in Christ. We're asking God for gospel movement among least reached people groups in our generation. That means there's just some urgency to the job. When we were in the room kind of crafting this, we looked at the youngest person in the room. <laughs> so before you go to heaven, we want this done. Some of us are a little further along and maybe we're just lack of faith that God can get it done in our lifetime. Uh, but there's an urgency. I'm not a prophet. I'm not one who looks and says, you know, Jesus is going to come, go sell all your stuff and go up on a mountain and wait for him. But it sure looks like things are getting real chaotic. And the Bible says that that's when Jesus is going to, that's when you should start looking. And I don't know if it's going to be another 2,000 years or if it's going to be another two years, but we got to get this done. There's an urgency. There are people who are dying today who have never heard the name Jesus. How are you going to respond to that? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? I hope so. Bottom line is this. The gospel is a message of hope which is to be proclaimed to the nations so that they too, together with us, might worship God. And each of us is called to be a part of this mission. I was looking through, I got one of your missions books. Uh, in, uh, in the lobby, and I'm looking through some of more friends of mine. I know the Cirilo and, and uh, Dori Dogiles and uh, Chris and Faith Creech are, are good friends of, of mine. And uh, you've got a great team. We're honored to be a part of that team. But just let me speak for the team that's in the book. 
Don't allow missionaries to be your surrogates. Let them be an extension of what you do. Don't allow just missionaries to be part what you're doing in mission. Participate in the missionary task. Share the gospel. Go buy some chili so that some young people can go to camp and hear the gospel there. Do what it takes. Not Most of you probably aren't going to be able to stand up and, and preach and share the gospel. That's fine. But you, can you memorize some verses? Can you talk to a friend? Can you go out and have coffee with somebody? Maybe a family member? Maybe it's just a matter of going up to somebody and saying, hey, you look sad. I'd like to pray with you. pastor of our church in Mexico did that about two months ago. It turns out it was a young lady who had just decided to not commit suicide. And he just saw her sitting by the door to the church. She didn't know she was sitting next to the door and she was just very, very sad and kind of crying. pastor went up to her, ended up having the opportunity to share the gospel. She's now studying with some good friends of ours. The, the Bible. Participate in the missionary tax. Someday you and I will be standing alongside. Of that family in Peru. Worshiping God, not on a mountaintop, but in front of the throne. And we need to make sure we get as many people there with us as we can. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations and sing to your name. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of participating in the task of bringing more worshipers to your throne. Help us to do that, Lord. In your Son's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.